Good morning and welcome. In the midst of all the upheaval and crisis and difficulty and problems and fears comes the message of Christmas with all its hope, goodwill, and cheer. I think the message of Christmas has been terribly misapplied and misunderstood for many years in this country. Some think of businesses' profits, shopping, gifts, tinsel, toys, and celebration. Others only think of Bethlehem, of a star in the sky, shepherds in the fields, and angels singing. Still others cynically ask, where is the Prince of Peace in a world filled with so much trouble? The real Christmas message goes far deeper. It is heaven descending to earth. It is, it is as though the trumpeter has taken his stand upon the turrets of time and announced to a despairing, hopeless, and frustrated world the coming of the Prince of Peace. It answers all the great questions that plague the human, the human race at this hour. The message of Christmas is relevant. It is revolutionary and it is reassuring to us today. I believe it can be summed up in three words. A cradle, a cross, and a crown. The Reverend Billy Graham. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for a cradle and a cross and a crown. Lord, will you bless us today? Make yourself known to us today. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Thank you, worship team. This morning marks the first of four Sundays in the Advent season. So if we are living by the Christian calendar, we are in a new year, and it is good. And perhaps you're familiar with Advent, and perhaps it is new to you. I will give you a little inside scoop on me. There are two times a year I become very liturgical. Advent and Lent, because I need them. I need Advent, and I need Lent. Advent actually comes from the Latin word that means, the Latin word Adventus, which means to come or coming. And the three main colors are purple and pink and white, but we don't have a white candle. And in just a second, I'm going to invite Daryl to come up and do two of the four Advent readings and light the first candle. And I get that this is liturgy. And I get that it might be new. But today we do this with the worldwide church. It doesn't matter what denomination you are. God's people have set this time aside to ready themselves 
to prepare their heart for his coming. Because, see, we are going to celebrate his first coming in anticipation of his second coming. So, Daryl, do you want to come on up, please, and lead us? We are reading from the lectionary, just like our liturgical friends. Isaiah 2, 1 to 5. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, son, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and see, will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Romans 13, verse 11 to 14. And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. The word of the Lord. Amen. And we'll let you light the candle. In the ancient world, for the first advent, they awaited. In fact, God had been silent for 400 years, and they waited. They waited for the promised Messiah, the one who would come to reign on King David's throne forever. And today, we are so busy in the hustle and bustle of holiday preparation Because the Messiah came, because he arrived, just as the prophets of old said he would, there was a young couple, a messy story of virgin birth and angels and shepherds. The promised one entered this world with his first coming, the God-man wrapped in swaddling cloth and placed in a manger. So today is the beginning of four weeks where we prepare ourselves for the celebration of his birth. As his people, we not only get to look back on the history of the first advent, but it beckons us to look forward to the coming advent. You see, the one promised the babe in a manger has promised to come again. 
And it is to this that the church looks forward to. This is our great hope that Jesus is coming again. So we are to prepare our homes for the celebration of his birth and prepare our hearts for his return. So for me, observing the Advent season actually focuses my attention on waiting for my king. See, with all of Israel, I long for my Messiah. It is in this season, in these four weeks, that as we live between the Advents, I am reminded that I am grafted into the vine. I have been grafted in to the lineage of my king. And Christmas is this wonderful time, and I will be honest with you, as a kid, I struggled with this holiday. Well, I did not grow up in an evangelical Christian home. We celebrated Christmas. I even took myself to church. But I had a hard time receiving, knowing others would not receive. But in this Advent season, I am reminded that we, all of us, have the same opportunity to receive the gift of heaven. Advent has this ability to quiet the busyness of the holiday season. It has the ability to quiet my heart. And I hope in turn your heart to hear the whispers of our king. Over four weeks, we are going to look at the stories of Christmas, and you are invited into the glorious mess of the first advent. But I'm inviting you to make room in your hearts for the coming king. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, my message this morning is called Before the Manger. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul. Who know themselves to be poor and imperfect. And who look forward to something greater to come. It's a gift for everyone. So our time this morning, we are actually going to look at I love the Bible. If you don't know that yet, just take note. I, I love this book. And I have various favorite parts of this book. But I think this morning we are going to look at perhaps, I'm telling you the truth, this is my favorite verses of this whole book. I want to give you some background first, though, because maybe you're new with us online or in person, and you don't know much about the Bible. So there are four Gospels, and this is where we're going to live for the next few weeks, although throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, it tells the story of the Messiah who will come. So there are four Gospels, and each have a distinct point. They, they are together, though different perspectives. See, Matthew 
shows Jesus as coming from Abraham and King David. And Matthew tells us that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets. Mark shows us that he comes from Nazareth, that Jesus is a servant. He came to serve and not be served. Luke draws us back to Adam. That the Messiah, that Jesus is the second Adam. And then John, who is hands down by far my most favorite disciple. You can take that to the bank. I love this guy. And John shows us that Jesus came from heaven. That he is in fact God. Different from the other three Gospels, John was penned by the disciple Jesus loved. It was written with these themes of contrast of light and darkness, life and death, truth and lies and love and hate. John's Gospel is very simple in its, in its style and in its Greek writing, although Greek is really hard just so you know. Pastor Doug is good at Greek. I am not. John was a simple man, a fisherman. He and his brother James, along with Peter and Andrew, were invited to follow Jesus, to leave their nets behind and become fishers of men. John and James were the sons of Zebedee, later known as the sons of thunder. And their, their mother, Shalomi, was the sister to Mary, the mother of Jesus. The, the threads of history in this book are amazing. John's brother James was the first to be martyred of the first group of disciples. And John is the only disciple not martyred. He died of old age. He was exiled on an island of Patmos because he was declared to be an atheist because he would not bow and worship the Caesar. He penned the gospel three letters and the letter of Revelation. And he writes my favorite words. Because see, there was a time in eternity past where there was no earth, no solar system. See, it all began in a moment where time as you and I know it was created. The creator God, three persons in one, spoke the words of his mouth and created life and light. And John begins his account of Jesus' life, not as he comes to earth, but as he was before creation. We're going to look at five verses this morning. You know what? We're being all liturgical. Will you please stand for the reading of the word of God this morning? 
in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life is the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. You may be seated. Before there was anything. I don't know if your mind will let you go there. But before there was anything, there was something. Before there was anything, there was God. Before there was anything, there was the Word If we could read this in the Greek, the original language that it was written in, we would see it form this picture that there's God the Father and then the Logos, the Word. Two persons together, the Father and the Logos. And they are face to face with each other. They are one yet distinct before the beginning there was the word with the father face to face see I know that sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our head around things and the Lord has declared to us That what has been revealed belongs to us and our children and our children's children. But what remains a mystery belongs to God. And loved ones, we have to get comfortable with the unknown, with the mystery. Because God chooses to keep things mysterious. He lets us know, I think, what we can handle. What we can grapple with. But much remains a mystery. See, Jesus, our King and our Savior, did not begin his life when he was born in Bethlehem. He had always been. From before the beginning of our time. From before creation, he was. He was God and he was with God. That is the truth of our faith. And he was always coming into the world. The prophet Isaiah declared 700 years before these words. The people walking in darkness have seen great light. You know it. Those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nations and increased their joy. They rejoice before you. The people rejoice at the harvest as warriors rejoice when they divide the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have scattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning with fuel for the fire. Here we go, for unto us a child is born. 
to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatnesses of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with righteousness and with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. 700 years before, the babe that was born in Bethlehem, the prophet Isaiah, spoke hope, inspired by the Lord, that the Messiah was coming. This month in Christianity Today, there's this article entitled, Hail the Incarnate Deity. And the author of this article, Fred Sanders, writes this quote. When God the Father set salvation in motion by sending his son to be among us, he chose the closest path. He chose the path of closest contact. When God the Father decided to send the son, he chose the path of closest contact. Emmanuel, God with us. See, Christmas is not a memorial service, it's a celebration. And when he was the least expected, Jesus left heaven and came to earth. Emmanuel, God with us. And John uses the imagery of light and darkness when he tells us about Jesus coming into the world. In him was life, and that life was the light of all of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. The light, the light of Jesus is still shining in the darkness. Amen? Are you not convinced? The light of Jesus is still shining in the darkness. Amen? Thank you. See, the life and mission of Jesus is still not comprehended by all. Many dismiss him and many ignore him and many push him away. But loved ones, I'm going to tell you something. And it might be slightly controversial. You can't take Christ out of Christmas. It's not possible. Because it's all about him. With him, it's not there. So we don't have to fret. And we don't have to worry. And we don't have to argue. Because it's the Christ mass. You cannot remove him. And when I think about the quote from Sanders that says that God chose the path closest to us. So whether they know it or not, Christ is in Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. Sanders also says that by becoming incarnate, 
the Son made himself personally present to humanity in an unprecedentedly intimate way. In 1995, there was a songwriter named Joan Osborne, and she released a song, and some of you might know it, called, What If God Was One of Us? She says this, If God had a name, what would it be? And would you call it to his face if you were faced with him in all his glory? What would you ask if you had just one question? What if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home? If God had a face, what would it look like? And would you want to see it if seeing meant that you would have to believe in things like heaven and Jesus and the saints and all the prophets? What if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on a bus trying to make his way home. thing is, is he is one of us, just like us. There is no removing Jesus from Advent. The question really is, do you want to see him? There's no removing Christ from Christmas. The question is, do you want to see him? I have, I have no clue what Joan Osborne's faith is or was when she ha- released this song. But I love the question. Would you want to see him if seeing meant believing? Because see, the day will come where there will be no more atheists. And I know that because he tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So Jesus, who was before the beginning, came as light to the world. And that darkness cannot overcome it. See, God's plan for redemption was in place before the creation of the world. Christmas was always coming. The Son became human so that we could become sons and daughters of God. That originates with Lewis. That God became man, so God became the son of man so that the sons of men can become sons of God. Paul Harvey wrote this story that I'm going to share with you. It's called The Man and the Birds. Some of you might know it. The man to whom I'm going to introduce you to was not a Scrooge. He was a kind, decent, mostly good man. Generous to his family, upright in his dealings with other men. But he just didn't believe in all the incarnation stuff with the, that the church proclaimed at Christmas time. Just didn't make sense. And he was too honest to pretend otherwise. 
He just couldn't swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. I'm truly sorry to distress you, he told his wife. But I am not going with you to church this Christmas Eve. He said he'd feel like a hypocrite. That he'd much rather stay home. But then he would wait up for his family. And so he stayed and they went off to the midnight service. Shortly after the family drove away in the car, the snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries get heavier and heavier. And he went back to his fireside chair and began to read the newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by this thudding sound. Then another. And another. Sort of a thump or a thud. At first he thought it was somebody must be throwing snowballs against his living room window, but... Then he went to the front door to investigate, and he found a flock of birds huddled miserably in the snow. They had been caught in the storm, and in a desperate search for shelter, they had tried to fly through his large landscaped window. Well, he couldn't just let the poor creatures lie there and freeze. So he remembered the barn where his children stabled their ponies. That would provide warm shelter and if he could just direct the birds to the barn. Quickly, he put on his coat and his galoshes, and he tramped through the deepening snow to the barn. He opened the doors wide. He turned on the light, but the birds did not come in. He figured food would entice them in, so he hurried back to the house and he fetched breadcrumbs, sprinkling them on the snow, making a trail to the yellow-lit, wide-open barn door. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs. They continued to flap around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them. He tried shooing them into the barn, walking around, waving his arms. Instead, they scattered in every direction, except into the warmth of the lidded barn. And then he realized that they were afraid of him. To them, he reasoned, I'm a strange and terrifying creature. If only I could think of some way to let them know that they can trust me. That I'm not going to hurt them, but to help them. But how? Because any move he made tended to frighten them and confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be led or shooed because they feared him. If only I could be a bird, he thought to himself, and mingle with them and speak their language. Then I could tell them not to be afraid. Then I could show them the way to safe and warm to the safe, warm barn. But I would have to be one of them so that they could see, so that they could hear, so that they would understand. And at that moment, the church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears above the sounds of the wind. And he stood there listening to the bells. 
listening to the bells pealing the glad tidings of Christmas. And he sank to his knees in the snow. What if God was one of us? I know that things are challenging. I know that the world feels darker, that somehow we have felt that over these last two to three years, it has gotten darker in the world around us. And maybe that's true, or perhaps we simply are beginning to see it as it always has been. I know that there are disappointments. I know that there is hurt that runs deep. I know that there are frustrations. But I also know there's hope. Hope. That the light and life of humanity entered the world when they were told there was no room. Hope in the person of Jesus who has promised to make you whole, to give you the gift of him if you just believe, if you accept the invitation that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Perhaps one of the best things that we can do as we begin this Advent season is to slow down. To slow down our pace and to make time for his coming. Not simply in the past or in the future, but his coming today in our life. He chooses to tabernacle with us to set up camp with you, to live with you. The one who existed before anything, the word of God who stood face to face with the Father, chooses you. He became one of us. So that we wouldn't be afraid. What does Jesus say all the time? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. See, God is for us, not against us. The light of the world has cast out darkness. The light of the world dispels the darkness. The darkness that is in us, the darkness that is in the world, if we welcome him in. The author of Hebrews in chapter 4 verse 15 writes this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. There's this Jewish tradition, and I love this. It's this idea that rabbis, rabbis tell this story that each person has a procession of angels going before them. 
And that procession of angels is yelling out, make way for the image of God. I don't know if that's true. But think about it. Because see, there's a world around us that is hidden from us. I think for our own safety because I would be afraid. And maybe it's just a tale. But what if it's not? What if we each have a group of angels that is going about in front of us saying, make way for the image of God. Make way. Make way. Imagine how different our lives would be and how different the world would be if we lived this out as a reality. If everywhere we go, angels are announcing the coming of the image of God. Imagine what would be being declared about who you are. Make way for the image of God. Would it change how you behave? Would it change how you treat people? Could it change your heart? Advent is this time to quiet ourselves, to reflect not only on what the Son of God has done for us, but who He is. And He is Emmanuel, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, God with us. That is the truth of Christmas. It is also the Christmas truth for the people living next door to you. It's the truth for those you love. It is the truth for those you fear. It is the truth for those whom are like us. And it is the truth for those whom are not like us. It is truth for the stranger, and it is the truth for our enemies. The word became flesh and lived among us. That is the truth. That, my friends, is Christmas. And the implications are profound. It changes how we see ourselves, how we see one another, how we see the how we live, our actions, our words. It means that Christmas cannot be limited to an event. It's not a day on the calendar. Christmas is the life to be lived. It's the way of being. Make way for the image of God. It means that Christmas is more properly understood as a verb rather than a noun. So maybe we should stop asking, how was your Christmas? And instead we should be asking, how are you Christmasing? If it's not a word, relax, I just made it up, it now is. How are you Christmasing? Are you recognizing that the word became flesh in your own life? Are you recognizing that the word became flesh in the lives of others? Do you see and hear the procession of angels saying, make way for the image of God? 
Now, I know that when I think about that procession of angels, I want to see me behind it. But what I need to do is I need to think of my enemy. I need to think of the people that are hard to love in my life. And I need to see their procession of angels declaring to me, make way for the image of God. Because Christmas is for all of us. And the word became flesh and lived among us. The word became flesh and has never stopped living among us. The word became flesh and will never cease to live among us. The word became flesh. So make a way. Wherever you go. Whatever you're doing, make a way. Whoever you're with, make a way for the image of God. Christmas is our way through life. Christmas is a verb. We need to be Christmasing. Not just for four weeks at Advent. Because we've been entrusted and we know our eyes have been opened to the truth that the one who is with God in the beginning, the Logos, the Word of God, came. The word became flesh and dwells among us. See, when Jesus, if you don't know the whole gospel story, let me tell you how he lives with us today. Because Jesus came and he lived as a baby born in Bethlehem. And he grew up and he collected people and he declared the truth And he invited us to know him. And then he died on a cross. He defeated the enemy who wants to steal us from God. He paid the price for our sin. So that we could be forgiven. So that we could become children of the Most High. And then when he ascended, when he went to be with the Father where he is now, he sent his spirit to indwell us, to live in us. God with us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. There was a group of Bible translators and theologians and they were wrestling with this passage in John. Actually, John 1, 1 to 14. And they were questioning the translation of the word logos. 
And I'm going to read this to you twice. I'm going to read this to you now. And then we're going to sing, and I'm going to read this over us for a second time as a blessing. But these translators, who are way smarter than me, (laughs) took the word logos, that we've translated word, and they've translated it conversation. And I want you to catch this picture of heaven before the beginning, as we know it. It all rose out of a conversation, a conversation within God. In fact, the conversation was God. So God started the discussion and everything came out of this and nothing happened without consultation. This was the life Life that was light of men, shining in the darkness, a darkness which neither understood it nor quenched its creativity. John, a man sent by God, came to remind people about the nature of the light so that they would observe. He was not the subject under discussion, but the bearer of an invitation to join. The subject of the conversation The original light came into the world. The world that had arisen out of his willingness to converse. He fleshed out the words, but the world did not understand. He came to those who knew the language, but they did not respond. Those who did became a new creation, his children They read the signs and they responded. These children were born out of sharing and the creativity, the creative activity of God. They heard the conversation still going on here and now. And they took part discovering a new way of being people. To be invited to share in the conversation about the nature of life was for them a glorious opportunity not to be missed. Emmanuel, God with us. In this Advent season, we have been invited into the conversation of God that is still going on today. It all arose out of a conversation. A conversation within God. In fact, the conversation was God. So God started the discussion. And everything came out of this and nothing happened without consultation. This was the life. Life that was the light of men shining in the darkness. A darkness which neither understood nor quenched its creativity. John, a man sent by God, came to remind people about the nature of the light so that they would observe. He was not the subject under discussion, but the bearer of an invitation to join in. The subject of the conversation, the original light, came into the world. 
the world that had arisen out of his willingness to converse. He fleshed out the words, but the world did not understand. He came to those who knew the language, but they did not respond. Those who did became a new creation. His children. They read the signs and they responded. These children were born out of sharing in the creative activity of God. They heard the conversation still going on here and now and took part, discovering a new way of being people. To be invited to share in a conversation about the nature of life is for us a glorious opportunity not to be missed. Father God, in your mercy and in your grace, we ask that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear that conversation that is going on today. The one where you pour out your love to us. The one where you've called us your own. Lord, there is a world out there that does not understand. Help us to Christmas well before them. Lord, may we be your people who invite others to hear the conversation, to be part of the invitation of being a new humanity. Lord, and as we prepare for the celebration of Christmas, will you quiet our hearts? to walk through the advent, the waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen and amen.